Well, reason for the call today, John, is... Welcome to Internal Use Only. Something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. Got a minute? A podcast for wholesalers. Always be closing. Always be closing. By wholesalers. Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Okay, before we get started, I have one question. Has anyone here passed a Series 7 exam? I have a Series 7 license. Good for you. You can get out. Let's cut to the chase. Here's your host, Dan Sullivan. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Internal Use Only Podcast. If you are a new listener, thank you for tuning in. And if you're a longtime listener, we're glad to have you back. It is the summertime. It's almost the dog days of summer here. So I wanted to provide something light and funny and entertaining. I invited two former wholesaling associates of mine for a conversation about our collective experiences on various internal sales desks. As you know, sales desk culture is very hard to describe to people outside the industry, but it's one of the best and most unique parts of the wholesaling experience. One thing that I realized is that no matter what firm you work at or where you work at in the country, there seem to be some very common personalities for the people that occupy any given sales desk. You probably know these people. I know these people. Whether you're currently an internal of two to three months or maybe you're a seasoned external wholesaler that was on the desk way long ago, I think there's some common personalities that all of us are familiar with. So today, we attempt to break those down and profile the characters you'll find on a sales desk. These characters include the career internal, the one that is not cut out for sales, the hotshot recent graduate, the overqualified individual, the degenerate, and lastly, the stat juicer or fraud. So in this show, the way that it's going to work is I'll read off a brief description of each character. My co-host and I will then share our stories and memories with each of these characters above that certainly shaped our collective 15 years experience as internals at various firms. A quick disclaimer, all opinions expressed by the guests and hosts are solely their own, are based on personal experience, and do not reflect advice, recommendations, and certainly not facts. If we missed any characters, or if there's anything that we should add, feel free to reach out to me via email at internalusonlypodcast at gmail.com. And lastly, the highest compliment that we could receive is a rating and review. So if you have two seconds now, would love to see more ratings and reviews come through. It'll help us to continue growing the show. I'll have more on that in future episodes about the growth of the show too. So without wasting any more time, let's get to today's conversation about the characters you'll find on a sales desk. First character you'll find on the sales desk is the career internal. This person has been with the company for what seems like forever, maybe five to 10 years. They're dutiful, loyal company people. They're going to show up every single day and humbly go about their business. Might be married with kids, which blows the minds of all of the young wholesalers. They definitely know where the bodies are buried. And the only time they let loose might be around the holidays or summer vacation. So here's to you, the career internal the first on our list of sales desk characters to my esteemed uh, co-host today. What say you? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll dive in here, Sully. Uh, this, this is a classic, classic uh, example here. I, I feel like this person, they A, you know, maybe didn't go to college and somehow snuck their way into the firm or B, or just like so, so, uh, you know, relaxed in, in their career that they're just happy to kind of coast. I feel like this person harbors just a latent dream of one day becoming the manager of the sales desk. And that's really it as far as the, the career aspiration goes. They'll collect the paycheck, they'll make the calls, they'll send the emails and hope one day to be tapped for that big seat where they can listen in on other people making the calls. I feel like this is a, uh, I used to work with one guy particularly like this. And I feel like sort of subtly, that's his dream, you know, and uh, but the people around him like absolutely know it. So this guy, this guy I'm thinking of in particular, he served in the military, uh, older guy, um, when the rest of the desk is, you know, mid or early 20s, you're looking around the desk and it's like 23 year old, 25 year old, a senior sales desk person at 26. And then you see somebody with like a full head of gray hair. You're like, okay, all right, well, <laughs> this guy definitely is out of place. Uh, but like total company man just eats all of the shit that the company gives him with a smile on his face. Doesn't mind it whatsoever. Uh, in this case, like was not destined for management. They kind of just used him and abused him. Um, but this is, uh, this is definitely a funny character that you're bound to run into. And I'll say as well, that this person's like, going to be trusted with everything like the day after christmas that person will be the one person manning the the calls the day after thanksgiving or the day before thanksgiving they are this person why would you not work the day before thanksgiving or christmas because you don't have to do that much you could go in and you don't take a day except that's not this guy's mentality his mentality is like how can i get ahead (laughs) i know i know i'll i'll show my bosses that i will eat all the shit that they could possibly give me (laughs) That'll be the reason you're promoted is because you were there for those extra days. You were there for those extra days. Yeah. Second on our list of sales desk characters is the one that is not cut out for sales or the one that just simply does not want to be in the role of an internal wholesaler. They, you genuinely feel bad for them just knowing how painful it is for them to come into the office every day. They struggle through pitches. They don't really put forth the effort to follow whatever training or routine that the firm sets out for their sales folks. It's just going to be a grind for them every day. I've worked with a lot of people like this, like a ton of people like this. I I myself have even been a person like this, where just waking up every day, going to the office has been an absolute struggle. Uh, Just did not want to be there. But one guy I worked with, he was a bubbly guy. He absolutely did not have what it takes. He he did not get it. He had no concept of like being aggressive or needing to get after it uh, from like a sales or work perspective. He was just like constantly in a good mood and like <laughs> just aloof. Uh, but he did get after it in other ways. I, I knew a guy who was so desperate to get off the desk. And I it was around the time that I actually got off the desk. We, we, were, we were pretty close. Uh, so I, I delivered the news to him over lunch and he, like I, I bought him lunch, obviously got, got the new offer. I'm feeling good. I bought him lunch. He doesn't touch a thing, not even a fry. And, and his face is just sullen and, and ash. And he's like, he, he says to me verbatim, I need to get off this desk. <laughs> and he promised me there. He's like, 
He's like, I'm going to wear the same pair of pants until the day I leave the desk. And he actually did. He wore the same pair of blue pants for 60 straight days while he was interviewing and didn't change. I obviously didn't really, you know, smell around him too much, but he was so committed to that. I'm sure his wife was pissed out of her mind. Like he, he didn't even wash them to my knowledge. He just, he stayed firm in, in his commitment to leave. What did he do after? Uh, he went and got a, a great gig at, at a bank. He, he like moved up, um, you know, pr- pretty, pretty heavily in the world. He like quadrupled his salary. So an incredible commitment there to the cause. <laughs> <laughs> that is bananas. There was a guy that I, uh, I worked with and, and over time you could just, you could see it. You could see the jadedness just overcoming him. I, I know you felt the same way, you know, with, with time, it just wears you down. And I remember this, this guy came in the office one day and, just under his breath said, adios mio, which means, oh my God, in Spanish. And he just kind of muttered it to himself and then like made a couple dials and then said it again. And then like made a couple more dials and like said it again, just a little bit louder. Throughout the course of the day, as he got to his dial count, he like at the end of the day, he was just blatantly yelling like, adios mio. And just like, couldn't care less. Like he was done. It's like the weight of the existential angst just like weighs on them. <laughs> every single call and you get off the call and they're like oh my god i've got to make another 50 of these today and then tomorrow i've got to make another 60 and the day after that it's like it is uh it is quite the funny thing to behold sometimes there was one there was one group that i had worked with where the number the the volume of dials became this it, it became like this all purpose explanation for so many facets of the day of your life on the sales desk. Like if we were out celebrating, they'd be like, oh, great. Then they'd be like, you know what we get to do tomorrow? That number of dials. It could also be a warning shot, you know, just you come in, you're like, I got 75 ahead of me. Just, it was just this number. And it was a this common experience that every person on this desk was like mutually suffering for. Mm-hmm. It's funny too, Sully, that that you had people on the desks that you worked at who would be like, oh, guess what you get to do tomorrow? Like 75 dials. I had the same thing. You and I have never worked together. So <laughs> it's like it's like just this common thread of like existential angst where people are like, oh, what I do today? I made 75 dials. What do I have to do tomorrow? I have to make 75 dials. What am I doing the day after that? I'm going to make 75 dials. When am I getting promoted? I have no idea. I'm just going to continue to make 75 dials a day until I'm like, like you're saying, dead. That's right. <laughs> And then the celebration that occurs when people get out of that experience is what truly makes all of this, what we're talking about, like so tangible and real is that relief that any individual feels when they leave a sales desk or the happy for you when someone that you're friends with leaves and goes on to greener pastures. It's truly like, I'm forgetting which Batman movie it is, but the one where Christian Bale has to make his way out of the pit of despair, basically. And they've got like the whole jail cell is like cheering him and he tries to jump off, then he falls and breaks his back and he's there for like six more months. Like that's basically like internals culture trying to like cheer each other out of the depths of like a dark sales desk culture. Yeah, when it happened, it was so epic. I remember we used to give people a standing ovation the day they got promoted or the day they quit. It didn't matter. It was the fact that they didn't have to dial 75 times. <laughs> like the Shawshank Redemption when, uh, <laughs> what's his name, like breaks out of jail. You're like, we're so happy for you. You made it. Oh, man. I, All right. Uh, so I had I had one other thing on this, too. There, yep. th- I worked with so many people like this that at one point, 
we were opening a new office in another state. And you guys know the job is you're in sales. If you want to get promoted, you go wherever you're told, right? You, you got a, you got an open wreck in Idaho, then you're moving to Idaho. It doesn't matter that you lived your whole life in Manhattan. Like you're getting out of here and you're moving to Montana or whatever. Right. So we're opening this other desk <laughs> and, and they're like, Hey, fast track to the field. Like we need people in those seats. We need to get people out there. And at this point, our internal sales desk was like pretty beaten down. Nobody wanted to be there. Literally zero people raised their hand to go to this desk. Round two rolls around. They go, hey, again, <laughs> we need people at this desk. And if we don't have anybody, we might, we might have to fire people. Zero people go. Round three comes around and they go, listen, we like, we're not kidding. We really need people to join the desk. So if you don't raise your hand, we're going to have to let people go. A few people, maybe like two or three people say, I'll take a trip on the company dime down there and I'll check out the office. So they go, they come back and they go, none of us want to work here. <laughs> oh my God. I think, I think like two weeks later, they fire like 12 of these people. <laughs> and I was happy for all of them. I was like, none of you guys want to be here at all. Like none of you guys even have a perception of what the job is. Like, this is great for you. I'm happy for them even still to this day. All right. Our next character that you'll find on the sales desk is one that's either lovable or hateable, the hotshot recent grad and or the wolf of the sales desk. So this is somebody most absolutely like 25 years old and younger. They show up dressed to the nines, despite being on, you know, the standard 45 to like 60-ish base salary that most internals have. Um, you know, the, visibly sizing you up the first time that you meet, headstrong, cocky, not necessarily afraid to pick up the phone and just like get the sales job done, which is which is definitely impressive. But uh, common characteristics too, they'll be using every industry buzzword without having any idea what that means. They're going to hawkishly follow Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Market Watch, regurgitate those talking points, and 1,000% chum it up with the externals or management every single day. So. We probably have all experienced someone like this. Uh, any thoughts from our panelists today? I may be starting with you, Dave. I remember my first week on the job and I was pretty young. I came in, I want to say I was 23 when I began as an internal. And I think I'd been there a day or two. And this guy comes over to my desk and like doesn't acknowledge them there, just kind of stands by my desk and I look up and he's like, he's there. So I'm like, Hey, how's it going? You know, uh, what's your name? He's like, and he says his name and he's like, so what'd you do before this? And then I tell him, you know, just kind of loosely worked uh, as a, an FA for about a year before, before transferring over. It was, huh, how old are you? And I, I tell him my age, he was like, huh, all right. And like visibly looks me up and down and then walks away. <laughs> and it, just, it was such a power move. Like I, you know, I, this is my show. This is how I run, you know, my desk. And he just, he just left it at that. He's like, you're a financial advisor at the age of 22. What was your AUM? Uh, how, how big was your client base? <laughs> <laughs> what was your book like? Yeah. Did he get promoted fast? Was he like beloved fast. by, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he, he chummed it up with management hard. You know, he, he was the guy you look over, he's, he's in the manager's office, you know, whatever the manager's into, he picks it up, you know, asking the manager to go golfing all the time. He got out, let's say in like under two years, he was a year older than me. And I think he felt briefly threatened there <laughs> that, that a younger guy was joining. I'll say there was another, another individual I worked with this kid. He's doing very well now. Actually, he got a shout out on, um, on one of our past podcasts. So I have no shame. I'm not going to mention the actual name. This kid was like three weeks out of college. And I just hear over like two desks away. He's like, what do you mean you don't want this kind of yield? Are you kidding me? And was just like regurgitating the bullet points that we were fed by management. But he was like going to bat with somebody over the phone. And it was this beautiful bit of chaos. And he he didn't know left from right. But I was like, holy shit, that kid different style than me, but I have no doubt that he will be a very successful wholesaler. And was it me or did this person always just like invest so heavily in their wardrobe, like swung way higher? It's the person that has $900 shoes. That's yeah. 23 years old. Yeah. Ferragamo shoes, the Rolex, some really tailored suit that they- Hermes tie. Oh yeah. All the time. And it's like, yeah, you, you, that's like a $5,000 outfit and you're making 50 grand and we all know it. Like, well, what's going on here? There's a fine line between dressing to impress and dressing like a dipshit when you're in an entry-level sales role. If we're in investment banking, very different story. If we are all entry-level analysts making 120 plus bonus to start our careers, there's a status quo that exists in like New York City investment banking that it's like, you wear this. Sure, because those people are going to be making like $500,000 by the time they're like 26. Internal wholesalers that are 22 and are studying for their Series 7 do not necessarily need to be dressed that way. But they think they're in high finance. Like that's that's like what, that's the common thread. And they're not afraid to go and talk to management about how expensive their suit is or like talk about like how expensive that the manager's like shoes are, like talk about like, you know, really expensive clothing and that sort of thing, keeping up appearances. Like it's one of the things that ties them to managers and like gets them in with them, I find. Yeah. So it's like the kid that's going to go guy or gal, you know, we're every character we're describing here is it could be either, either gender. We have no, uh, you know, it's not all guys, not all gals. They're, they're universally applicable, but this is the kind of guy that's like 23 years old and he's out at the, you know, at bars with his friends or brunch on the weekend. And he's like, yeah, I'm i uh, I'm, I'm in equities. Yeah. I'm in equities. It's like, you're not in equities at all. You're you're calling people and emailing them with fact sheets and maybe some pitch books. Like that's kind of the extent of your role today. You're you're definitely not in equities, nor are you in high finance, as some people might say. <laughs> there was a guy who used to wear a three-piece suit routinely to the office. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it looked ridiculous. And he he would frequently say at the end of calls, like, this is Wall Street. This is Wall Street. <laughs> like, what are you going for here? Like, this is just not Wall Street. We're not even located. Like, we're miles from New York right now. We're not in the city. Like, and we would just end calls, hang up and look around the desk and say, this is Wall Street. Moving on to our next lovable and ubiquitous sales desk character, the overqualified individual. This is somebody who, not, not like the one who doesn't want to be there, just somebody who finds their way onto the desk at some point and either has like too much career experience or they're basically too smart to just be relegated to like phone calls and dials. 
there was a guy, he, he worked at Goldman and somehow just hit a really bad streak of, of luck or knew someone on the desk. He ended up on the desk and I think he, he was there like two or three months and management was already pitching him on being a wholesaler. Like what territory would you want? This guy was just the definition of the golden goose. And, you know, he wasn't going to be an external. He was just going to like be there for some time and wait until an institutional job, you know, opened back up and then he was going to bounce over there. And it, it, it's just funny seeing those characters. We also had a lot of ex-traders come on the desk and it's like, tr trading's dead. What am I doing next? Let me go be an internal. I, I'm licensed. Let me just kind of pop in here for a couple of years while, while I figure out my next career move. I, I, I just, I saw it happen numerous times. It's a funny stopover where people are like, oh, I have no idea what I'm going to do. So I, I can definitely do this. <laughs> <laughs> this will be no problem. So I'll just do this for the time being. There was, uh, there was one dude that we had. <clears throat> I love this guy, and I'm very happy for how things ended up with him. But he played for an NFL team for a while and was like, and got cut. So he came in for an interview, and the interviewer straight up like brought him around to the entire office, like people he would never otherwise interact with or interview with just to like show him off. You could tell management was like, can you fucking believe that this guy is here interviewing for this job right now? Like, let me show this big ass motherfucker to the head of research and to like the PMs. It is like, they're never going to talk to this guy at all ever, but he was, they were just so excited to have him in the building, but he was like really genuine, affable guy, just a phenomenal dude. And then left to go do like, I think he started a, a company that had to do with like manual labor or something after that. Like he, he just was like, not about it. And it was just, it was a really, he was a great dude. And I'm, I'm glad that things have worked out for him, happy for him, but very, very funny to see how happy and excited management was. They're like, look, look at this guy. How about this? He's six, eight. Look at him. Isn't this wild? There are always those people. They just have the look like it's like that person's a fucking wholesaler. Like whether it's a good looking tall guy or just like a, like a woman that's just like got her shit together. And you're like, Oh, that person commands the room. There's always that aura of you're like, that person's got it. You know, it's, it's like, it's hard to describe, but anyone that's been on the desk is sort of like, you know what? There's that like it factor for someone that's going to be a successful wholesaler. And you can snuff that out like right away with people that you see. You see them come onto the desk. So they'll come out from the field. They'll be visiting the home office and you won't recognize them, but it'll be like magnetic. Like everybody's like, oh yeah, who that guy, like everybody's trying to talk to them. They're just drawing attention. They're looking crisp. Like they come into the feet, they come into the office, you know, once every six months or something. So they have to look like super, super sharp. Meanwhile, they might be meeting with clients like in jeans and a polo, like golfing and shit. But when they come to the office, you know that they are in the field and that they're killing it. Our final character is the degenerate. The degenerate, whether it's partying, gambling, trading, this is the kind of person that no day is safe because every day is a day for action. Having two screens up or their phone just gives them constant access to off-track betting or to your you know, obscure sports. Anytime there's a, a big sporting event, they'll bring out the pool for the desk. Um, if it's partying, their habits are phenomenally well-known, at least across the internal desk, to sometimes to the extent that you really don't know if they're sober or not when they show up to work. But uh, impressively, they always do show up. Just to start, I think that the characteristics that you listed off are just like habits that people develop in the course of dealing with 
the stress of a job that they hate. Like if they weren't like slinging mutual funds to financial advisors, like making decent money and addicted to cocaine, they'd be doing like manual labor and would be on alcoholic, you know, like at least that's, that's the type of people that I've run into. Like one guy who actually has cleaned up his act. I'm really happy for him. But the first time I ever met this dude, like he's on the job, maybe two weeks, we go to a bar right after work, bartender knows his name, picks him out out of a large crowd of, of after work folks, picks him out of the crowd, yells his name out, gets him a shot of whiskey and a beer before he even gets to the bar. Like, okay, that's not for me, uh, but I'm not going to, you know, yuck somebody's yum. But he turns around and goes uh, to me and a group of other people who, again, like don't really know this guy at all. And he just goes, yeah, anybody, uh, anybody into getting happy endings? And we're like, what, dude? What are you talking about? He goes on to tell this story about he's like texting this woman. He goes to, you know, this certain part of the city every couple of weeks. He gets a special massage. And suddenly, like, the picture becomes extremely clear. This guy's like a full on degenerate, just absolute degenerate. And uh, it's just getting into all sorts of crazy stuff that uh, that I personally like have not uh, involved myself with. Uh, but like I said, he's cleaned up his act uh, in the last few years. So I'm happy for him. But for a long time, he was uh, getting blasted about six nights a week and, and doing some crazy shit. Ben, is it wild to say that I actually had almost the exact same experience? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, everyone is the same. This is why I mentioned at the front end, this is like an anthropology about like sales desk characters. It's like our stories that we're going to describe are not unique. It just might be the first time anyone's actually broadcasting them to an audience. Yeah. But <laughs> who else has had, raise your hand in the audience as you're driving or commuting or exercising, raise your hand very high. If you know someone on your desk that has had this similar story, or maybe similar to the ones we're about to chat about. So <laughs> keep going. How is your similar or different? I mean, almost to the T <laughs> in the office, like ex alcohol, but I, I remember he was a couple weeks in and he, why, he, why does that have to be ex-alcohol if you're in the office? <laughs> that, that's a very <laughs> big, big trick question. And I see your reaction there. This guy was an alcohol, but everything else in his desk, you know what I mean? So, so every other substance was there without alcohol. I mean, he, he was twitching it as he was talking to me, uh, but similar experience. He, he turns around to me like a couple weeks in, he's like, Dave, you into happy endings? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, not really for me. And he goes, oh, I know this great spot in the city. Like, we, we got to round up a couple guys and go. And it, it was just, it was like a, just a matter of fact statement. I, TBD, if that ever happened, um, I wasn't aware of it actually happening, but it, it was so early on and so aggressive that I, I had to call that out. I mean, that, that's just too wild. What's crazy is that I've never, I've never heard of somebody or to that point, some, no one has ever been like, hey, uh, I'm into happy endings. Do you like those? Like nobody, and nobody in my entire life has ever said that. And this guy, two weeks into his job, was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm into this. This is cool. You like that? I'm like, what? Like, why is the fact that we're both internal salespeople the reason that this conversation is happening? Like, it's yeah. never happened in my life before, except when I'm around this, like, crew, like this random crew of people that I work with. There was somebody for, as, as far as gambling, one of my favorite degenerates that was gambling. I would say first and foremost, anyone that always talks about gambling so vocally, I would just love to see a profit and loss history. Some people that I have worked with, purely with what they're telling me, I feel like that's only scratching the surface of how much they might be really gambling. This, this one guy, we worked in Manhattan. 
he lived, I think he, he didn't live in Long Island, but he's from Long Island. He was always the guy that like had, had the underground betting pool. Uh, apparently he belonged, or I don't know if he belonged. He went to this like underground poker club. So this guy would leave the office and he'd be like at happy hour getting drinks. It'd be like 1030 and he'd be like all tuned up. And he's like, all right, I'm going to the poker club tonight. And then he would show up to the office the next morning, same attire as the night before, just obviously did not get any sleep. And the first hour and a half of like whatever, whatever day he went to the club, he would just sleep on his desk and then he would shoot up at some point and then he would just make his dials, make his dials, like get him in fall sleep. And it was, it was like remarkable, but it was so funny because he'd be like, yeah, got the poker club going. So that was, and he would always come to the, like whenever this was, I mean, also this was like pre gambling being legal. So not easy, like access pools and stuff, but he always had like the big payout pools for like a super bowl or for whatever else. So he was always like the guy, if you wanted to kind of like go into the gambling stuff um, that also permeates itself into like trading too, where you've got basically these addicts that are sitting there, like, how can I get my fixed middle of the day? And it's like trading from their Robin hood or Schwab brokerage account. And they're like humming around the desk, like, Oh, this stock's going to pop. And I can guarantee it. You're like, I really doubt that this is going to happen, but they're the ones always out there chattering and getting their fix from gambling and everything. The first time I heard about Robin Hood was a person on the desk, that exact same situation. They were just like, oh, hey, like check this out. And they were just day trading all day long, which is also probably against the compliance rules like at the company. Like they probably were not able to do that without pre-clearing, but they were just trading at all hours talking about their stock ideas. And it's like, you guys are 24 years old and have absolutely no conception of how to be like a good asset allocator. If you guys were actually good at trading stocks, you wouldn't be an internal wholesaler. Like, like, let's just be honest. Like you guys, you guys would have a different job. And I, I feel like that's always the point, right? Like th- this, these people are trading, like getting into any, any market, any place there is a market and like, they're inevitably losing a lot of money. <laughs> like you're making, you know, 50 base plus, plus your commission. Like you can't afford this lifestyle. So you got to be getting money from somewhere else, which, which is like a whole other aspect we haven't even discussed, which is like everybody knows what everybody is making on an internal sales desk. Like you can see every single day, the trade run, you have the same commission structure, unless you're at a, unless you're at a place that tiers it pretty significantly where, you know, like junior internal versus mid-level whatever. But it's kind of like, based on what I see and what you talk about, like, how do you afford what you're doing without either like ghost payments from your family, crazy, maybe good gambling or other sources of income that maybe we're not aware of, but it's kind of like, huh, I'm a reasonable person. I have similar rent and have a similar lifestyle. Like I don't seem to be able to throw this money around willy nilly, just like you, but we haven't really talked. We haven't really gotten into more of like the whole like partying aspect of it, which is like the people that regardless of their level of sobriety, they are just it's consistent and they show up and it's miraculous. It's confusing. It's impressive. It's horrifying. It's really all the above. And you're like, Oh my God, that person had 15 drinks last night. We started at like 5 PM and uh, saw them with a Snapchat or an Instagram post at 3 30 AM. And lo and behold, they arrive at their desk at like 7 30 AM. I feel like the role really does compliment those in their young twenties that where you can survive on couple hours of sleep multiple nights in a row you know inevitably that person's probably complementing that with substance as well but 
like you can actually operate normally. And I, I feel like the the later you get into your life as, as, as an internal, perhaps a career internal, those those days just quickly fade away, like in just the natural life cycle. And like their ability to party just clearly wanes, like after a couple of years on the desk, you know. And the best is when like you combine the partying and the gambling and like the same evening and they're just full tilt. I remember talking to one guy, he had a few drinks in him and he was like, Hey, I think I found a new market. I was like, what, what's going on here? And uh, he's like, check this out. You can bet on how many people die in Chicago in a given weekend. And I, <laughs> that's so, so dark, right? So dark. But this guy just needed that much action where it was just like a couple drinks at him. I'm good. I need to find it and make a new market somewhere in this world. He's like, I, I got a like- guy, I got a guy who's in healthcare out in Chicago and he's got the reports. So I can factually guarantee that this over under is set at such a discount that man, you absolutely have to get in at this right now. No other option. The over under looks real juicy on this number of deaths in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I, I also feel like, Dave, you, you bring up a good point just about the job, like lending itself to the type of people that, that are working it. Like you just got early 20s people who are only brought together by their desire for making money, really. Like that's, that's like the, the underlying theme that brings people together in jobs like that. And so people are just coming out of college. They want to meet new people. They want to party. They want to continue that kind of lifestyle. Like I remember every Thursday almost, I would be meeting up with people and we would be drinking at six, seven, eight o'clock at night. The classic is like, it's Thursday night, it's 9 p.m. You've drank 10 beers and haven't eaten dinner. And everybody's like, to the next bar. And you're like, okay, (laughs) sounds good. I'm going to wake up, you know, uh, like with the biggest hangover of my life, not having eaten a single thing since noon, you know, and it's just like it, uh, the whole thing just kind of lends itself to, to that type of culture. A lot of firms, if you don't drink and if you don't hang, it's going to be hard for you to like move up in the culture. If you don't go to those happy hours, you're kind of screwed. Like that's how you network. That's how you go out. Bad because a lot of these senior managers probably have similarly bad problems when it comes to alcohol use, but it's like, that's the playbook for success. Drink, schmooze, and then get tapped on the shoulder for that next job opening. It was always stunning to me. Like you, you mentioned some of the senior leaders having similar problems. How many people at really high levels in the company were also just absolute degenerates? Like I recall, I wasn't there for it, but we had an offsite where our like head of sales or VP or something got so drunk, again, at a, at a company offsite that happened once a year, got so drunk that he went to his EA's hotel room and was just slamming on the door over and over and over again, saying that he wanted to you know, hook up with her. And this is like, this is like in view of the entire company, right? Like essentially, like if anybody walked into the, into the hallway, they were like, oh, okay, what's going on with this? They had to like drag the guy away. And he remained in his position for a very long time, <laughs> like, like far longer than you would expect for somebody doing something like that. Our very final character for the day, the stat user. This is the person who routinely in and out is posting above average statistics, dials, talk time, email outreach, whatever it is, yet everybody on the sales desk knows that that person is completely full of shit. Makes no sense how they get their dials and they might even spend minimal time at their desk, yet they somehow 
have these outlier statistics that they throw up every single day. So I'll tell a funny story to begin this. I was at a shop, first place I started. It was a very high pressure environment. And there was this one guy who he was entering stats for the day and he like fat fingered an extra zero. So there's a, there we had a big board where all of people's like dials were listed and it was above everybody. And he, because he fat fingered it, instead of writing like 10 dials, it was a thousand. <laughs> so halfway through the day, like one of the managers gets up and he like points to the scoreboard. He's like, do you see what this individual has contributed just this morning? He has put up a thousand dials. What is everybody else doing? And like, no one, everyone else was like, midway through the day, they're at like 18. And this, this guy was like revered, but he, he simply like fat fingered his results. So intro story to this, obviously this guy wasn't juicing his stats, but it was just a hilarious example of when management objectively looks at numbers and then just reveres the person who's up top without thinking about how, how, and why those numbers got there. You probably have much better examples. So I'll let one of you start. Well, it's always the case, right? Like the, the person with the best dials in the best talk time regardless of how they got there is always revered it's it somehow always works out for that person and i i feel like that person is either staying really late at night like office closes at five they're there from five to six like jamming the phones or they're really early in the morning i i remember there was a guy on our desk he was like teed up to actually become an external and i don't think i ever heard him make an outbound call my entire time with him like never. And somehow he always had awesome stats, awesome talk time. And he would show up like half an hour in an hour before work started. And it was just abundantly clear to everyone else on the desk, but management would just look at him and be like, that's our guy. He's doing a great job. It always astounded me how the fraudsters got by without nobody noticing, like without anybody noticing, like, like somehow like when you got to management, you like forgot that there were people on the desk who were just making a ton of shit up. And you're like, oh, well, if it's on paper, it's real. Like if it's in Salesforce, it counts. Like it matters. Like it was always astounding to me. There was one dude who joined the company that I was at within like two weeks, literally two weeks, he was on top of the call list by like 120%. He was doubling, more than doubling everybody else's calls. And Everybody in the desk was like, haven't heard that guy say a single word. <laughs> like <laughs> the whole day will go by. Don't hear that guy talk at all. And he's, and he's on the top of the list. They go, oh, wow. You know, management's like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, they're calling him out similar to what you said. So like, they're looking at the, the leaderboard and they're like, look at this guy. We'll call him Steve. They're like, look at Steve. He's, he's killing it every single day. Not a thought goes through their mind that they didn't hear this dude speak a syllable at all, but they promoted him super fast, like within, I don't know, four or six months. And by eight months, he had left the company. He just took that bag and was like, all right, I'm going to bring this to the next place. He just like continued to fail up. It was, it was amazing. Frankly, I, I was, I was in a different part of the company by then, but I was seeing it happen. And I was like, all right, well, good for this guy. If he can do that. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. So they're true manipulators, fraudsters of the system. Or, or they have some intangible skill, like they can't make a dial to save their life, but guys, a scratch golfer, we got to keep them around, right? They might be a fraudster, but man, do they have this redeeming quality that they're good. It seemingly doesn't matter for this person to not hit activity or have bullshit activity. 
And then someone's going to get fired for not having enough activity because they don't have those redeeming qualities. It's just a wonderful seesaw that we live on when it comes to sales desk, promotions, and management. Which makes me really respect the guy who just doesn't give a fuck and like openly frauds and just doesn't even attempt to hide it in the course of a given day. We had a guy who it was kind of closer to the end of his tenure and he like just like uh, mailed it in that day. And the call sheet came out the, the next day and it showed he had like 80, 85 dials, something like 20, 25 minutes of talk time where his average was like under 20 seconds. Like he didn't <laughs> listen to the full voicemail for the calls he was making. And just like, like management obviously like pulled him in and, and had a stern talk with him, but like couldn't care less about the job at that point. He was just ready to go. There was one guy that, uh, that I used to work with. He, he was actually an external while I was an external. And complete, complete fraudster and kind of embodied that same, like, does not give a fuck attitude. And he also had this, like, one redeeming quality where he was an external at, like, a really top tier firm before he came over to us. So whenever anybody talked about this guy's activity or his production, people would be like, yeah, but he used to work at this place. And so he had this, like, umbrella to save him from any and all scrutiny. I remember one time he was on my team and there was another guy on our team who didn't make his meeting target for the quarter. And so my boss calls my colleague and she's like, Hey, uh, you know, you didn't hit your meeting target. And my colleague, sorry, I'm interrupting here. This is external. Yeah. 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 So these are, these are externals. And so my colleague goes, meanwhile, he'd been in the industry for like 15 years, He's a seasoned external, one of our best. And he just goes, yeah, I didn't. But isn't it weird that this guy always happens to hit the exact number of meetings that are, that are required every single quarter. And there are no notes in any of them in Salesforce. And the manager was like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> It's just like, you guys know this is happening. You don't care at all. And they're like, well, you know, he used to work at this place. It's like, all right, well, that doesn't really matter. He, he, I, I always was astounded because whenever somebody made that argument, I was like, yeah, but he got let go from that place. Like he's here now. Like, don't you guys get it? Like he, he didn't hack it over there. You know, it just, it astounded me. Anyone listening to this, we, we are all successful salespeople and activity is a function of the work. We, we understand that. It just was always remarkable, particularly with like, internal and external wholesaling, that it was just, it was purely quantity and have whatever metric you need to hit. It could have been the worst quality possible, but just like, you're fine. If you hit your numbers, then if not, it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> just make sure that whatever reports we run on Salesforce make us look good. Outside of that, I could care less if every one of your meetings was at Burger King. Uh, it, it <laughs> just make sure that they're in the Salesforce system. No impact. Impact was not a part of the equation. When uh, when someone would like bring up the point of like, hey, emails are actually a little more impactful to our jobs. Like, we should track metrics around email, and it was it was always shot down, right? It was just like, no, 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 let's not be ridiculous here, <laughs> right? It's like I, I I can I can phony in as many dials as you want. Don't make me do not. Oh, come on, I'll make as much bullshit dials as you need. Do not make me show up to this office and have to think about an email that's going to be effective. Please do not make me do that. It's so funny. It's like, I, I remember similar things where it was like, hey, uh, you know, like a VP or a manager would send around this article that was written at like Barron's or like, 
someplace that had some panache. They wouldn't read the article. They would just read the headline that was like top ways to get in front of financial advisors. And it would be like email <laughs> would be like near the top. And people would be like, oh, uh, okay, so shouldn't we be doing this? And then they would double back and be like, well, no, 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 no. We don't want, we don't want that. It's like the impactful stuff would show its head. And almost to the company's detriment, management would be like, well, we, we can't do that. For all, all of you that are listening, still tuning in, hope you made it this long. I know this episode might be a little bit extra, but we hope that it's entertaining and fun and in many ways nostalgic for you. So we're going to we'll finish it off officially here. Just a, a round table very quickly. Were there any outlier characters that you spent time with on a sales desk that you, you want to pay tribute here to in our final closeout? I'll, I'll pay tribute to who, uh, someone who I'll call is just the committed, the, the committed mutual fund salesperson, where there was a guy who went, he started his career early on, became a financial advisor. I don't even think he made it at, like through the program, through the, the actual three years and, and oh, like truly owned his own book of business. So during that time, he transferred, did the natural progression, became an internal did a couple of years on the desk and I don't know what it was, but I, I think during that time he, he really settled in and thought that he had figured it out and made the stride to then head back out into the field and become a financial advisor and actually do it again. But this time was way more legit about it, had a, an entire plan in place. I think he lasted like three or four years when I saw a LinkedIn update of him starting to work on an internal desk elsewhere in this world. And it was just such a, such a sad like story of, of, he probably hit every cycle of personality that, that we described today through, throughout his course on the desk and off the desk. But I think he's still there to this day. So he, he is a true career lifer uh, at this point, just kind of an epic, epic career trajectory. I would, I would pay homage to, uh, on a positive note, uh, somebody that, or a type of person that, uh, that I worked with when I first started at the first company I was at, this person was a brilliant, brilliant individual, taught me most of what I know about finance, way overqualified for the job. Like we would walk into an FA's office together and the FA would be like, can you please tell me about like rates in Europe and what's going to be happening with rates in Europe? And this guy would talk knowledgeably for like 35 minutes as if we had just brought in like the European equities PM to go and talk to this like random financial advisor managing, you know, $4 million in Charlotte or something. Like he was just a super smart guy. And I think they knew it at, at the company I was at, they promoted him pretty quickly. Uh, I was actually his internal for a while. He was there. And I just remember him like maybe, maybe like four months into the job going, listen, dude, this is great. Uh, but I am totally out like very soon. He's like, I'm going to go start my own business. I'm talking to all these guys who are managing all this money and I can do a way better job than them. So I'm, I'm going to go start my own RIA. And I was like kind of panicked because I loved working with him. So I tried to find a new external pretty quickly after that, knowing that he was going to jump ship. But there are people like that out there who, and you know, he's, he actually has started a successful RIA. So good for him. Uh, but there are people like that out there who are just way overqualified for the job. They get there thinking it's going to be something and it's not their expectation. 
Uh, and you know, while they're there, they have a great impact on a lot of people that work there and then they move on and do a much, much, uh, bunch, bunch of different, better things. So, uh, good for those folks. And that's a wrap on our sales desk character banter. If we missed any characters or any descriptions, reach out to me. If you're tuning in up to this point, I hope the episode was fun, that you enjoyed it. Send an email to internaluseonlypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know if I missed anyone or if there's anything else that you would add to the discussion we talked about today. And of course, guests and topics are always recommended by our audience. So let me know if you've got an idea. I'll make sure we incorporate it. Internaluseonlypodcast at gmail.com. Have an awesome week. Stay tuned for some more fun episodes to come. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at Internal Use Only Podcast or email us at internaluseonlypodcast at gmail.com.